Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. Good morning, Ebenezer family and friends. How many of you love a great story? Well, if you do, you're going to absolutely love our summer sermon series. Over the next two months, we're going to reacquaint ourselves with 11 amazing Bible stories that most of us learned as children in a series we're calling Summer Classics. Now, I have to confess, the inspiration for this series came from Ebenezer's Children's Ministries. Uh, This past fall, our children were going through a series called Mighty Messages. And I was asked to teach one of the stories, the story of Joshua and the walls of Jericho. It was a blast, literally. I walked around the church building blowing a ram's horn, or at least trying to, but it usually ended up sounding more like a sick cow than a call to battle. But as I was teaching, I thought this would be a great summer series for our entire church family because there are people who attend Ebenezer, uh, either in person or online, that don't know some of the great stories of the Bible. Or if they do, they only know them through the eyes of a child. And so, if some of the stories we teach this summer are new to you, fantastic. You're going to love them. And if you already are familiar with them, well, I I trust you'll see them through new eyes and discover some some truths you can ponder that you can apply to your life today. I'm going to kick off our series today with a story from the Old Testament. It's the story of Elijah and his showdown with the prophets uh, Baal on Mount Carmel. Now, there are a few reasons why I was drawn to the story. First, it's because it's an epic story. It's a story that's filled with drama and tension, uh, heroes and villains, miracles and surprising twists, and even some unexpected humor. Uh, Second, I was drawn to Elijah's story because of the person of Elijah. He is considered one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament, and his name appears several times in the New Testament. In fact, in the Gospels, both Jesus and John the Baptist were compared to Elijah. And then third, I was drawn to the story because a few years ago, Brent and I actually stood on Mount Carmel, where much of the Elijah story takes place. And I've included some pictures for you in the PowerPoint for you to see. Uh, It was was on this very mountain 2,800 years ago that an epic showdown took place between Elijah, the prophet of God, and 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. Now, as you can see from the pictures, Mount Carmel is, is a mountain. And it's a very, very high place. From our vantage point, we could see the Mediterranean Sea, which is about 15 miles away. We could see the cities of Nazareth and Cana. We could see uh, Mount Tabor, which is where they believe the transfiguration of Jesus uh, took place. And also, uh, we we have the spectacular view of the Jezreel Valley, which is also known as the Valley of Armageddon, where according to the Bible, the last battle on earth is going to take place at the end of the tribulation. Now, let me just give you a a bit of historical background to the story. Uh, First, in Bible times, high places were significant. They were significant because of their military advantage, but also, as in the case of this story, they were significant because they they often were the place where foreigners would set set up uh, altars and build altars to worship their gods. Now, unfortunately, when the Israelites intermarried people from other nations, their hearts were often drawn away from the God of Israel to the gods of the people they married. 
In fact, this chasing after foreign idols and false gods instead of worshiping the one true and living God of Israel became one of the nation's consistent and ongoing sins, which shall greatly displease the Lord. And this sin of worshiping other gods forms the backdrop of the events that took place on Mount Carmel. Second, you need to know that the showdown on Mount Carmel began really three and a half years earlier when a young man named Ahab became king of the northern tribes, ten northern tribes of Israel, and, and he reigned in Samaria over them for 22 years. He was a, a wicked and evil king who married a form, foreign woman named Jezebel, and together they led the nation of Israel in worship of Jezebel's foreign gods of Baal and Asherah. Now, Baal was, was a male god, and Asherah was the female god, and they were known as the gods of weather. Now listen to how the Bible describes Ahab in 1 Kings 16. It says in verse 30 that Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who was the first king of the northern tribes and did evil in the sight of the Lord by leading the people away from the God of Israel to worship false gods, but it says he also married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, uh, the king of Sidonians, and he began to serve Baal and worship him. And he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. So, so he was, a, he was a, a wicked, evil man. And it was because of Ahab's wickedness and the great sin of leading the nation of Israel to worship uh, Baal instead of the God of Israel, that God sent a drought over the entire land to show him and the rest of the Israel who the true uh, living God was. And it's at this point uh, that Elijah enters the story. He kind of bursts onto the scene as God's prophet and spokesperson with a message or pronouncement from God to the king. He says this, um, as, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. That's found in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Now we're actually told very little about Elijah, only that he was Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead. Now Tishbe was a small village in the mountain country of East Israel, which likely means that Elijah was simply a small town country boy, likely a shepherd, who was rough in his appearance and uneducated. His name literally means, though, Yahweh is God. But like many before him, the only thing that, brought, that he brought to the table was the anointing of God Almighty. Now, being a prophet in those days was, was no easy task. There, there was no limelight to seek after. There were no cushy jobs or paychecks to receive. There were no adoring fans to affirm you. Your job was to speak the message of God that he gave you to the audience God directed you to speak it to. And in those days, those were rarely happy words. God didn't care much, it seems, for political correctness at that time or giving people what their itching ears wanted to hear. Rather, God's word was usually a pronouncement of judgment or a rebuke that often put the messenger in danger. So there was a, there's a high call and a high cost to being a prophet of God. And Elijah preached his sermon, and then he, he immediately went into hiding, into the God's Witness Protection Program, I call it. And God first relocated him to the Kareth Ravine, 
which was east of the Jordan River, and he enjoyed God's original Skip the Dishes home delivery menu, complete with a mountain spring water. Now, what that was, was, as it says in verse 6 of chapter 17, that the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Well, he stayed there in that place until the brook dried up due to the drought. And then the word of the Lord came to him again and said, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there, because I have have directed a widow there to supply you with food. And so uh, we see in verse 10 that that, uh, Elijah obeyed the word of God and he got up and he went to Zarephath. Now let me just uh, pause and and point out a few things that we can uh, take away from the story and and ponder more deeply in our lives as we seek to apply them. Here's the first takeaway for today. Uh, It's simply this, that the God of the Bible speaks. Now let's not miss this remarkable truth. The God of the Bible the true living God speaks to humanity. And he speaks in a way that that people like Elijah, like us, can be sure it's him speaking and we can be clear in what he is saying to us. Now this is not just a unique experience uh, that Elijah had. It is the experience many people in the pages of Scripture had. You see, we have a speaking God who loves to speak to his people. And in the fall, we're actually going to do a sermon series called Hearing God, where we can learn to hear what God says. And we all need to learn to do, uh, to recognize His voice and to obey His words when He speaks to us. Here's a second takeaway from the first part of the story. It's that this, is that the God of the Bible provides. Now let's not miss this second remarkable truth. The, the God of the Bible, the true living God, provides. Elijah went into the wilderness with nothing, and the Lord daily and miraculously provided for his needs. And then when God directed him to the widow of Zarephath, God once again miraculously provided for Elijah and the widow and her son daily, all that they needed according to the word of the Lord. It says that that, uh, she went away after Elijah told her to make some food for him. And after she explained that, that all she had was just a little bit of food left uh, to feed herself and her son before they died. But Elijah says, you go and make something for me first and, and God will provide for you. And so it says that she went away and did as Elijah had told her. And so there was food for, for them every day, for the woman and her family. And the jar of flour was never used up and the jug of oil did not run out in keeping with the word that the, of the Lord that Elijah had spoke. So God provides. Here's the third takeaway for us. The God of the Bible wants us to trust Him. When I look at the, the story of Elijah, what, what's remarkable is, is, the, is the level of trust that Elijah had on his God. Elijah was forced to depend on the Lord for everything, and he had no other option. God used uh, this season of Elijah's life to teach Elijah to trust uh, the Lord in everything and for everything. And I wonder if every follower of Christ needs to have um, a come, you know, a brook of care with experience in their walk with God, a place where where they they come to the realization that their complete dependence upon is upon God, and not upon all the other things around us, which we have so much of in our world today. Because uh, when we rely on ourselves, that's a false sense of security, uh, and as we place our, our our own hope and our own abilities, and God wants us to trust in Him. 
Well, um, over the three and a half years, uh, Elijah learned to, to listen and respond to God's voice. He learned to wait patiently on the Lord, and he learned to totally and completely trust God in all ways for all things. Now, let, let's go back to the story. Chapter 18 begins this way. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. And he said, Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. And so Elijah left God's witness protection program and reappeared in Samaria in front of a man named Obadiah who was a palace administrator but also a devout believer in the Lord. And, and the scripture um, tells us that, that uh, when, when Jezebel went to kill the prophets of God, that he hid a hundred prophets in the caves so that they would not be killed. Now, uh, no one had seen Elijah for, for years. It had been 3.5 years of silence as Elijah waited for God to give him his next sermon. Uh, and that sermon this time was, was not that there would not be rain, it, it was that there was going to be a rain and the famine would end. Now, I just was thinking about this. Uh, can you imagine if, if we lived out our lives as pastors like, like Elijah did, that we only spoke when we had a clear word from God? Can you imagine you know, pulling up to the church building at Ebenezer and on this, there's a sign that, on the door that says, Pastor Layton did not receive anything from the Lord this week, so, so try again next week. Well, that was kind of what, what happened back then. It was, it was the prophets only spoke when God told them to speak. And this time, that gap was three and a half years. So when King Ahab saw Elijah, he, he said to Elijah, Is it well with you, troubler of Israel? Interesting. You see, from Ahab's point of view, Elijah was the problem. He was the one who brought the drought upon the land. But from God's perspective, uh, it was Ahab that was the problem because he had abandoned the commands of the Lord and followed the Baals. In verse 18 it says, I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's, uh, father's family have. And you have abandoned the, the Lord's commands and have followed the ways of Baal. And then he issues this command. Uh, he says to, to the king, Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And incredibly, Ahab agreed to Elijah's request. He gathered the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah and he brought them to Mount Carmel. And then he sent out, sent out word throughout all of Israel, calling the people to assemble on the mountaintop. Now, of course, not everyone gathered, but a great number of people from the ten northern tribes of, of Israel did gather. And once everyone had arrived, uh, Elijah uh, stood up and he addressed the people of Israel directly. And this is what he said. How long will you waver between two opinions? Or another version puts it this way. How long will you go limping or vacillating or trying to decide between two different belief systems? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Well, after he said that, there was, a, there was this long period of awkward silence. It was deafening because not one person in the crowd said a word. Elijah continued to speak and he in a sense, drew a proverbial line in the sand by issuing the chal a challenge to the prophets of Baal and to uh, Asherah. And this is what he said. 
to them and to the people. He goes, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left. Now that wasn't quite true, but he, he felt that way. And then he says, but Baal has 450 prophets right here. So go get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one of the, uh, for themselves and let them cut the bull into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to the altar. And I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. And then you call in the name of your God, and I'll call in the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. Well, when the people heard this, they said, what you say, Elijah, is good. And so it was game on. Elijah turned to the prophets of Baal. And he said to them, uh, there are more of you than me, so, so why don't you go first? You choose the bull that you want and prepare it the way you want to and the altar the way you want it to be done. But remember, you can't light the fire. Only your God can do that. Now, as I mentioned earlier, uh, both Baal and Asherah were considered gods of weather. But let me tell you a bit more about them. Baal was known as a storm god a deity in mythology associated with weather phenomena such as thunder and, and lightning and rain and wind and storms and tornadoes and hurricanes. And so I don't know if you're catching this, but, but really what was happening is the God of Israel was going to prove that he was the only true God by challenging Baal and his prophets to their greatest strength. You're the God of weather and rain? Fine. I'll show you who's the real God by holding off rain from your land for three and a half years. You're the God of thunder and lightning? Perfect. The challenge will be for you to call down from the God of heaven, the, the Baals, uh, to bring lightning and start your fire. And so we read that they took the bull given to them and they prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. It's about four hours long altogether. You know, Baal, answer us, they showed it. But there wasn't any response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar that they had made. So for three or four hours, the crowd was watching, as was the king, and waiting. But, but nothing happened. And that's when the trash talking began. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but, but I appreciate some good-hearted, witty uh, trash talking. And Elijah is both bold and hilarious in, in, in what he says. This is what it says in verse 27. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. He said, shout louder. Uh, surely he's a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or daydreaming. Or maybe he's busy, which literally meant that maybe he's in the bathroom relieving himself. Or maybe he's traveling away on a trip. Or maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So, so shout loud. <laughs> no, you have to admit, Elijah's pretty funny. And, and, and what he said probably incensed the prophets even more. And so it says that they shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until the blood flowed from their bodies. And the prophets, it seems, are in full desperation mode right now. They're calling out all the stops. They're yelling at their God. They're cutting themselves, but still nothing. Not a thing. And midday passed and they continued to be frantic, prophesying until the time of the evening sacrifice. Now I wonder what the, pro what the people thought as they watched. 
Did they lose interest as the day progressed and nothing seemed to be happening? You know, did they run off for lunch? Um, well, evening approached and there was still no response. The 450 prophets of Baal and presumably the 400 prophets of Asherah had spent nine hours during the heat of the day calling to the God of weather and storms to send down a bolt of lightning, but nothing. No one answered. No one paid attention. Finally, Elijah stood up and he said to the prophets, okay, uh, you've had your turn, now, now take a seat, it's my turn. And then he turned to the people of Israel and he called to them and said, gather around, you know, come, come here. Now maybe he said that because he noticed that the people were bored and distracted by watching the prophets and he wanted to, to gain their attention again. Or maybe he just wanted them to have a front row seat of what was about to happen. But once he had everyone's attention, the Bible says that the Elijah was, was methodical in his approach. The first thing he did is he, he repaired the altar of the Lord, which tells us that at some point in time, there had been an altar on the mountain of Mount Carmel built to worship the Lord God of Israel. The Bible tells us that he took 12 stones, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And with, with, with those stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And then he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold up, you know, three gallons of water. One commentary I read said it was, it was, the trench was one foot wide and one foot deep. And next, Elijah arranged the wood on the altar, and then he cut the bowl into pieces and laid it on top of the wood. And then to the surprise of the crowd around him, he ordered them to fill four large jugs with water and pour it over the offering in the wood. And so they did. And they told him again, now do it again. And so they did it a second time, and do it again, they did it a third time, and so the water had thoroughly soaked through the wood and it had filled the trench. And as it says in, in 1 Kings 18, verse 36, that, that at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prayed. Now, I want you to notice before I, I say this prayer or read it, that, the, that Elijah used words that pointed people to God and not to himself. And he used imagery that made it clear to all that he was not just praying to any God. He was praying to the one and only true God the God of Israel. And this was his prayer. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all the things at your, your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you are Lord and that you are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. At that very instant, the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice in the wood and the stones in the soil and licked up all the water in the trench. Now, this was not just a lightning strike. It was a column of fire from heaven that consumed everything, the bowl, the wood, the water, the stones, and the dust on the altar. Do you know what the temperature that is needed to consume hard rock? I actually looked it up this week, and they say it, it's probably close to 1,500 degrees Celsius or, or 2,700 degrees Fahrenheit. 
That's about the, the temperature of volcano lava. So it was hot, whatever came down. And in a flash, it was over. And as the people stood looking at the altar, at least where it was, there was nothing left except a flat, smoldering piece of ground. Now, what did the people think and do when they saw this undeniable and powerful, miraculous act? Well, probably the same thing that you and I would have done. It says in verse 39 that when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. You see, God accomplished what He wanted to accomplish. He proved once again to the nation of Israel beyond any shadow of doubt that He is the true living God and that there is none like Him in all the earth. And he drew the hearts of his people back to him. And in that great moment of victory, God's people rose up against those who had been deceiving them and leading them away from, from God and Israel. And the Bible tells us that they captured and destroyed every prophet of Baal and every prophet of Asherah on that day, totally separating themselves from, from that religion and cleaning house from their old ways and their old actions. But the story doesn't end there. Another miraculous display of God's power still needed to take place. There was still this little matter of three and a half year drought on the land. And so uh, we, we read in verse 41 that, that Elijah said to Ahab, Go and eat and drink, for there is a sound of heavy rain. And so that's what Ahab did. He went off and he ate and drank. And Elijah, while the people were dealing with the prophets and Ahab was eating, he climbed on top of the Mount, Mount Carmel. And it says that he, he bent down to the ground and he put his face between his knees and he began to pray for rain. And after he finished praying the first time, he said to his servant, go and look towards the Mediterranean Sea and, and tell me what you see. And the servant came back and says, there's nothing but blue sky. So he got down on his knees a second time and he prayed more sent the servant away, still nothing. He repeated this time and time and time again. Seven times in total, he got on his knees and prayed. And then on the seventh time, the servant reported, Master, I see a cloud as small as a man's hand rising from the sea. With that news, Elijah got up and he said, Go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. And meanwhile, the sky just continued to grow black with clouds. And the wind rose up and a heavy rain started falling. And Ahab rode off to Jezreel. Here's a funny part of the story that sometimes we miss. It says that in verse 46, the power of the Lord came upon Elijah. And tucking his cloak into his belt, so he, he pulled up his, his, his um, coat and skirt and, and he tucked in his belt. And it says that he outran Arabs, Ahab's horse, and he, and he beat him to Jezreel, another miracle of God because the Spirit of God had come upon him. Now let me pause here again and, and point out just a few more things that we can take away from the story and ponder more deeply and apply to our lives. Here, here's a, a fourth takeaway, and, and it's this. The challenge Elijah issued to the people on Mount Carmel, which was 
how long will you go limping between two different belief systems? Is actually just as relevant to us today as it was to the people back then. There are, are many people today, maybe even you, who are vacillating or wavering between two different belief systems and worldviews in this world. And God, uh, God wants you to know that He wants all our heart, not just part of it. He wants us to, to fully trust Him and not just call it to Him when it's convenient or when we were in need. You see, um, if God is God, then as Elijah says, follow Him. But if not, well then follow whatever else that might be. But God wants us to, to not waver between two opinions, to make a choice and decide who we're going to follow. Here's a fifth takeaway. The God of the Bible wants to show His power and draw our hearts to Him. I love Elijah's prayer. Today let it be known that you are God so that the people will know that you are God and their hearts will be turned back to you. You see, our God doesn't want to punish those who don't know Him or have turned from Him. He actually wants them to, uh, to know Him. He wants to reveal Himself and His power to them. And, and, and when we know God for who He is, in His power and His might and His love and His grace, our hearts are going to be naturally turned towards Him, just like the people of Israel were in this story. Here's a sixth takeaway. The God of the Bible hears and answers our prayers. James 5.16 says about this circumstance here. He says, um, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, the context of that passage is, of course, praying for healing for people in the church. But the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And then he re references Elijah. He said, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. In other words, uh, we too can see the miraculous take place when we get serious with God in our prayers. And so for you right now, if there, is, if there are things that you need to uh, see miracles in your life and the lives of others, get down on your knees, tuck your head between your knees and begin to pray. And trust that God hears and is able to answer that. Well, uh, I, I realize that my time is almost up, but there's one last section to Elijah's story that I want to go through very quickly. You might think that after such an undeniable and amazing display of God's power, that Elijah would be on cloud nine. He'd be on, on the top of his game, you know, spilling over with God confidence, encouraged and empowered and emboldened in his faith. But shockingly, this was not the case. The Bible says that when the evil queen Jezebel heard what had happened, and how her prophets had been defeated on Mount Carmel and put to death by the people, she went ballistic. And she issued this decree to Elijah. This is what she said. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you, Elijah, just as you killed them. When Elijah heard these words, his humanity got the best of him. His faith faltered. Fear overtook him and he ran for his life. In our modern day language, we would say that he was emotionally drained, that he was physically exhausted, that he was spiritually spent. 
He was completely overwhelmed from all that he had gone through that day. We read in 1 Kings 19.4 that he went alone into the wilderness after leaving his servant. And he sat down under a solitary broom tree and he prayed again. And this time he prayed that he might die. He said, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am, I am no better than any of my ancestors who have already died. If you were God, what would you have done in that situation? Well, rather than focusing on his human failings, um, I want you to, 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 know, to notice how God responded to Elijah. He, he doesn't judge him. He does, doesn't punish him for succumbing to his human fears and limitations. He doesn't disqualify him from ministry and remove him from his office. No, none of those things. What he did do, though, is he sent an angel to feed him and to tuck him in so he could have a sleep. Isn't that amazing? And when he was well-fed and well-rested, at least enough to travel again, God led him to Mount Sinai, which is the mountain of God. And there Elijah found a cave and he spent the night. The next morning, the Bible says that, that the Lord again didn't scold him, but he, he simply asked him, asked him a question. And the question is, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, I don't know if that was a reference to where he was physically or where he was spiritually or emotionally, but what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah was still broken and tired, and this is what he said. He says, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets, and I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. God didn't respond to that statement. He just said to Elijah, Go out and stand before me on the mountain. And as Elijah stood there, it says that the Lord passed by. And a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. And it was a such, a, such a terrible blast that the rocks are torn loose. But the Bible says the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. And, but the Bible says that the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But once again, the, the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, it says in the scripture that there was a sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, it says he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And the second time the voice came, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, Elijah's response was exactly the same as, this for, as the first time. But this time, the Lord instructed him to re-enter his ministry, and Elijah obeyed. The Lord said, Go back to the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus, where, and when you arrive, anoint Hazael to be the king of Aram. Now let me just pause there one last time and point out a few more things that we can take away from Elijah's story and ponder more deeply or apply to our lives. Here's a seventh uh, takeaway. And it says, The God of the Bible understands 
our humanity and is sympathetic towards us. Isn't that wonderful? I don't know if you've ever felt totally spent in your life or in your ministry, but, but if you have, God understands. He sympathizes with us in our weakness. And His goal is not to condemn us or discard us or, or to remove us. His, gar- His goal is to renew us and to restore us and to reinstate us. And so if you find yourself in a place where, where you're just overwhelmed and your humanness is getting the best of you, even though your heart would like to serve God, then maybe just sit back and ask God to send His ministering angels to, to be with you and to comfort you and to give you what you need. It's okay for us to, to be human. We're not God and we do need times of rest. Here's another takeaway. You're not alone in your ministry, so don't carry the burden alone. You know, sometimes uh, we feel like Elijah. We feel like we're the only ones working for the Lord. We're the only ones doing what God is asking us to do. And we don't see those who God has put in place to accomplish His purposes in, in our environments around us and also in the world around us. But let me just remind you that, the, that God uh, has a, an unfolding plan and He calls and appoints people to share in the ministry. And so be encouraged wherever you're at in that. And then the final takeaway is that even even when you're tired and broken, obey. I actually love how Elijah's story is kind of left unresolved. We leave this chapter and and he's still tired and broken and, and feeling sorry for himself. But even so, when God commands him to go to his next assignment, he obeys and he does what God tells him to do. Now, what a great example of faith for us to follow. We know um, now as we see the whole of Scripture that, that Elijah was favored by God. He was one of the two people who were taken up to heaven without seeing death. Enoch was the other one. He was one of the people who appeared with Jesus on the mountain during the transfiguration. And Malachi chapter 4 prophesies that, that, that God will send Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the, the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of, of, the, of fathers to their children and hearts of children to their fathers and back to God. You see, God used uh, Elijah in his life, this great man of God, to be obedient and to trust him. And so may we today learn from the stories of Elijah and may we be encouraged because as the Bible says, you and, you and I are human just like Elijah. And because God used Elijah in great ways, we can anticipate and hope that God will use us as well. Let's pray. So God, thank you for this day. Thank you that you love us and that you care for us and guide us um, in all things. I especially want to pray for those that are feeling uh, overwhelmed or overburdened by their life or ministry and that you, the God, who cares for us physically and emotionally and mentally, will come and support us and encourage us and build us up and give us the nourishment and rest that we need in every way, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And then God, by your grace, would you allow us and help us to continue to 
love you and worship you alone and choose you to be the only God of our life. That we would, we would know that you're God and that we would serve you. And that as we do that, by your grace and mercy, would you use us to bear fruit and to build your kingdom. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you and thanks for listening.